What's up, everybody? Episode number 47 of the Big Five Pod coming at you right now. Uh, and here we go. I'm your co-host, Kyle Morello, as always. And next to me, the one and only Jake Copestick. How we doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, kind of slowing down here. We're only going to be coming at you once a week on Thursdays or releasing on Fridays. We're slowing down here. We're in the dog days. It's May. It's becoming June. Transfer portal starting to figure itself out. All the coaching changes have been done for a while. There might be some scheduling news, maybe some recruiting news. But as far as, like, we're starting to shut the door uh, and close the book on last season, you know, if we haven't already. And then also, holy shit, I need a haircut. Ed. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. It's, it's on uh, Saturday, but, man, do I need I need okay. a haircut. I need See, I haven't – I have to schedule mine. Maybe I'll uh, – maybe next week. We'll see. Um, also, unintentional matching on the heyday shirts. I just had mm-hmm. a softball game. Uh, <laughs> Copes is from basketball, I believe, uh, this past year. Um, yeah, here we here we go. We got we still got some stuff to cover. I know we're in the dog days, but there is still news. There's still action surrounding the Big Five. Uh, so let's get right into it. First and foremost, Jordan Dingle, I believe, player of the year, Big Five player of the year. On his way out, we knew this, but we didn't know where he was going officially until this week where he committed to St. John's. And he's being joined by Zuby Ejiofor, um, the transfer from Kansas that we talked about in our last episode, was potentially thinking about going to Villanova, ends up going to another Big East rival in St. John's. So two really, really good gets uh, for Tino. I believe that's 11 transfers now um, for Tino, and their their team's going to look a lot different next year. Um but listen, I, I've heard a lot of people say, and I think this goes without saying, um, that Jordan Dingle was the crown jewel of of St. John's, you know, kind of transfer portal, whatever you want to call it, masterclass. Honestly, is probably what I would call it is the best word for it. Um, but I, I think this is a home run, especially with Zuby Edge 4 too. I mean, getting a backup center um for Joel Soriano. I mean, it's it's a really, really good get and comes with a lot of really, really good gets that they've had in the transfer portal. So, Cope, uh, I know we don't, you know, we're not obligated to talk about the Johnnies because they're not in the big five, though we do play them, uh, obviously, with Villanova and some non-conference too. So we're going to see them. Um, so what do you think of of all these moves that Patino's making? I mean, what do you make of the Johnnies next year? It's I I believe they'll be good because they're coached by Rick Patino. I mean, the guy doesn't fail wherever, wherever he goes. But – the jury's the, the jury will be out. I don't want to put too much emphasis on him and and have lofty expectations. Even though, even though I was the same guy that said I'm already ready to throw him in my top 25, they're not there yet. Until until I see it, they're not there yet. This is not a bad class by any means. But you're right, absolutely right with Jordan Dingle being the crown jewel, being the, the the big fish. I was waiting for that big splash, waiting for a really big get, and he got it in Jordan Dingle. A lot of really good players that he brought in. He got a bunch of Iona guys. Quince Lazinski, Cruz Davis is a young guy who come off the bench. I actually liked at Iona. Dennis Jenkins was awesome. I really loved him at Iona. He played very, very well. Off rip, really, that first game of the year when they played Penn, he was very, very good. Brings in Glenn Taylor from Oregon State. Brings in some 3 and D wings. Gets Naeem Aline, a, a really good bench scorer who could play starter minutes, who was just on the UConn championship team. Also brings in Zubiedja for as well. To me, the last two things that Rick Pitino had to do, I was still waiting for a big splash, and I was, I, I was waiting for a backup center to Joel Soriano, a young guy that he could develop and kind of have 
uh, obviously backed up Soriano. He'll be playing the bulk of the minutes in his fifth year and and shining. And, and Rick Pitino has, has really big goals for him. But Rick Pitino checked off the last two boxes, gets a dynamite score on the wing, who was one of the best scorers in all of college basketball last year, gets himself a backup center for Joel Soriano. Those are the last two check marks he needed. He got them both here but remains to be seen how good they'll be because the Big East was very good this year. It's going to be very good next year. Georgetown will be a lot better. Providence, I still think, will be a solid team under Kim English. So it's it's a very, very good conference. You have the best coach in the conference. I don't think anybody would argue with you on that. Rick Pitino, in my opinion, for my money, is probably the best coach in college basketball as well. So you have that, but is this team going to be able to gel together? Is this team going to be good enough to play in the Big East, that remains to be seen. But Rick Pitino got the, the last two guys he really needed to to bring this this transfer class together, gets a really good scoring wing and a, another starter that he needed. Got himself a backup center who a lot of people were after, including Villanova, who we'll talk about a little later on the center front. But two really good gets, two very sought-after players. One of the best, in, in my opinion, Jordan Dingle, not only in the portal but in, in college basketball as well. He's local guys from Valley Stream. I'm sure that played into it a little bit. Tino tweeted out on uh, last Friday when he committed, because this was right after we had, we had recorded our last episode. I think it was, was pretty keen on, on keeping his name in the draft, even though I didn't think that'd be the case. I thought if he was going to go anywhere, he was going to transfer and wasn't going to decide to go to the draft until next year. But decides to stay. Patino tweeted out, wants to be a first-round pick. I'm dead set on making that happen. And who knows? I mean, under Rick Pitino's coaching, playing at a higher level, proving you can do that, Jordan Dingle could certainly put himself in the draft conversation for next year. So two very good bets. They're, they're going to be a problem for Villanova. I mean, St. John's, they've been kind of irrelevant here under Mike Anderson. They made the tournament four straight years. Last time they made it was when Chris Mullen was the coach and they got smoked in the first four game. But St. John's will be back, whether it's next, next uh, this year or it's next year. He'll be back. He'll be a problem. He'll be very competitive and, and will give Nova trouble for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, I was actually having a conversation with my dad about this. Uh, I believe it was yesterday, the day before. Um, and we were talking about St. John's. We were talking about uh, Jordan Dingle going there, as we had before going there. And I was like, Dad, I think they're a tournament team next year. I do. Um, probably like, I think on the eight, nine line. Like, I don't think they're going to be setting the world on fire, but I think they're a quality, quality team next year. Um, I think they're in the tournament and, you know, we'll see what happens, but they, you can't knock the, the quality of talent coming in. Plus some of the guys who are already there, obviously Joel Soriano being the big one. And, you know, you talked about it, how you think Rupertino is the best coach college basketball. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I'd say he's top three or five for sure. I mean, obviously I think about like Bill Self and, and uh, some of the other guys, but it's weird now that like coach K and, and Roy Williams are retired. It's like, who do you even, who do you even talk about? Rick Pitino, I guess. Um, they're they're going to be really good next year. Uh, they're going to be fun to watch at the very least. So I'm excited to see. Um, hopefully they don't do it against Villanova. But we'll see. We'll see. All right, moving on. Uh, we're going to talk about a player transferring into the Big Five. Uh, someone we talked about last episode, and that would be Howard Steve Settle the third. He is officially transferring to Temple. Um, we talked about how huge of a get this would be. Uh, for Adam Fisher and company, I mean, he's he's probably I think he's the biggest transfer that they've gotten, at least in height. Um, and, you know, they talked about needing a big and they got a big and he can stretch the floor, too. Um, you know, we went over everything last episode. So 
if you guys were watching, you know what we were talking about in our breakdown with Steve Settle. But Cope, just your your thoughts here on the official transfer of Steve Settle the third Temple. Yeah, the, I I am really really happy with this one, and he's going to play big minutes and and be a big part of this team right away. And the thing that sticks out, I mean, he was down to Temple and, and George Washington his last two, and being a DMV guy and having him. He could vault into the A-10, but to come to the American and come up to Philadelphia, it's huge to be able to get him from from where he's from and have that recruiting advantage for DW to try and keep him home. So this is huge. I shout out to John DiCarlo, who was able to sit down and, and or at least speak to Steve Settle about his commitment. David by Adam Fisher, his how he treated everybody. He said he went into Pearson McGonagall Hall, was treating the the janitors that support staff well. He, they, they said that he buys him food once a week. So that impression that that Adam Fisher has very early on everybody at Temple, on the, the the players that are already there that decided to stay, and with these transfers that he has coming in, and every single one, even with Jordan Riley, I was reading up on a, on him uh, talking to somebody on Temple, might have been DeCarlo actually, and he was saying like Fisher knows what he's doing. I love his energy. I love his plan for me, and it, it seems that his his energy is, is infectious, and, and people are going to want to come here. So, I think down the line, that's huge for Temple having a guy that's going to bring in these transfers and connect with these guys right away. But Steve Settle is going to come in, stretch the floor, gives him a big forward to be able to play small ball with a 6'10 guy who can who can do the things that he can. Absolutely huge. Get very, very happy with this. Very, very happy. He's going to play big minutes right away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, they they need it. And, you know, we talked about how Emmanuel Akpom was pretty much the only guy, you know, big man-wise, who was there and – as much as Adam Fisher wants him to shoot threes, I don't know if everybody else does. Um, so it's good that they're going to be able to get a guy who can shut your floor, be pick and pop, like you said. And and uh, this is good. This is good. And now we won't go to George Washington, so he's not going to face the big five, two, eight, ten teams, which would uh, be problematic. So, yeah, good on good on Temple and good on Steve Settle. I think this is a good situation for him, too. Um, so good stuff there. All right. Moving on to another player we talked about last episode, Thomas Sorber. Uh, he was down to a Final Four in his decision. It was between Villanova, Miami, Providence, and Georgetown. And he ended up going with the last one on that list, and he chose chose the Hoyas. Going to go down to the DMV, play Fred Cooley. Um, listen, slowly but surely, Villanova's been missing the last few weeks. Um, you know, they obviously had some hits earlier in the transfer portal season. TJ Bamba, Keen Hart. Um, but... They haven't really been able to land guys the last few, especially when looking at bigs. Obviously, Hunter Dickinson was the, the biggest miss, but now Zuby Edgefor, um, you know, choosing to go elsewhere. Thomas Sorber choosing to go elsewhere. Um, now, one thing we're going to get to in a second is that Lance Ware's going to Vill- visiting Villanova. We'll get to that in a second. But in general, what do you think is like the reason, or not the reason, but what do you make of? these decisions of these players not choosing Villanova? Is it just the other schools are making that good of a pitch and, you know, maybe they're promising playing time, whatever it is, or is it something with Nova? Yeah, it's it's hard to tell because I, I, I don't know why that would be a thing. Maybe some of it is that Nova doesn't really play with the center. And historically, like, you know, they, they've been very successful not doing that. You look at the final four where they had Eric Dixon as a starting center, even going back to 2018. I mean, they had Eric Pascal and Omari Spellman, both of which were were you know six eight six nine guys, but they they stretched the floor and weren't natural bigs. They were bigger guys that were able to space the floor, all could shoot threes, 
rebound. We're, we're big physical guys inside. So maybe that plays a part of it. If you're not a center that's going to shoot the ball, like a Zuby edge of it, like a Hunter Dickinson, who although he can step out and shoot it, obviously he's more dominant in the paint. And that's where you want him to be. So maybe that has to play a part in it. Tom Sorber, the, the, he's a he's a natural center. He did pull some threes on high school last year. He's got another year. Announced that he was not going to reclass and is going to be going to Georgetown starting next year. I'm not he's a 2024 guy. So um, he's not going to not going to reclass, but he's a back to the basket guy. And it just sucked because we talked last episode. He grew. He's from around here. Plays in the Catholic League. Goes to Archbishop Ryan. And he said he grew up a fan, even, and he was a fan before the Chris Jenkins shot. And to not be able to land a guy like that, and now he's going to go play in the Big East for Georgetown, you're going to see at least twice a year. I don't know what the problem is with Villanova. I would think maybe that has to do with some of it. They're not a, a really back-to-the-basket system in the way they play. I haven't really had that in years past. But it, I can't put my finger on anything besides that because they were able to get some quality transfers and, and bring some guys in. So I don't really know what the deal is there, but the bottom line is they need a center. They've been missing guys are committing and now their, their options are starting to thin out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I was kind of theorizing was maybe it's just that they know Eric Dixon's going to play, even though he's the undersized center. Like you mentioned, like he was the guy in the final four run who was their center, even though he's six foot seven or six foot eight. Um, I think maybe people just know that they're not going to play as much because he's there and he's the guy even though obviously you need a backup, but maybe some of these players are saying, you know what? I don't want to be a backup. And I know Thomas Sorber's not, you know, not coming until 2024 to Georgetown. So it's different, but uh, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. Hopefully it's not a trend that continues because at some point, Eric Dixon will leave and Villanova's going to need some big men. Um, so we will, we'll see about that. But I, I really hope it's not a trend because that would be problematic. Um, but yes, going to go back to the Lance Ware front. Uh, Kentucky's Lance Ware visiting Villanova um, from Camden. So he's a local guy. He's not pretty local guy. Not from Philly, but right across the river there. Went to Camden High School. Uh, 46th ranked prospect in the ESPN Top 100, class of 2020. Uh, he didn't really, really play much. You want to talk about playing behind a guy? Try Oscar Sheboy. Uh, not going to get any minutes in front of him, let me tell you that much. Um, two points per game, two rebounds a game last season. But... You know, promising. I mean, he was he was a top 100 guy. Went to a local school. So hopefully his visit there goes well, or it went well. Um, do you know anything about this? And and could you see Lance Ware being a good fit for Villanova? Oh, he's, the thing is, he's he's a, a, a back-to-the-basket guy. Not not really. He's a guy you want to catch. He's just a down-low guy. Uh, it's tipping back, missed shots catching lobs, really, really good athlete who showed the ability to block some shots and get up there for some rebounds. So I like his athleticism because he's not just kind of a, a plotter and a, and a big who you're going to stick down there and, you, you know, catch the ball in the block. You want him out out on the perimeter setting screens, catching lobs, being able to create space for guards. He's, he is 6'9", but, I mean, he plays, plays bigger than that. He's a really, really good athlete at 223 pounds. Uh, he's, he's a big that they need. And, look, they just – this is a need at this point. He visited. Rumor has it they've been interested in Isaiah Miranda, who I think declared for the draft and left NC State. But he he's the guy that's at least visited. And I think St. John's was actually the, uh, a potential destination for Lance Verto, which makes me like this even more. And him being a guy that's from the area, I think this is a good fit. Uh, they they Like I said, they need centers. Their options are getting thin now because they missed out on a couple guys. 
And I think there's there's a little bit here where Lance Ware could put up some better numbers if he got some playing time. His first year there, played behind Isaiah Jackson, the first-round pick by the Indiana Pacers, behind Olivier Saar, who played at Wake Forest and actually played for the Thunder for a little bit. So he was behind two NBA guys. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. He played behind Oscar Shibway, who was the player of the year and probably the best rebounder that anybody's ever seen. He just wasn't going to get much playing time. So if he comes to Villanova where they have a need for him, and look, Eric Dixon is going to play a bulk of the minutes. You're absolutely right. But when you can spell him a little bit, you can give Villanova a shot blocker. They were one of the worst teams in America blocking shots. They didn't have any bigs. That that, that was necessarily their skill set. And bringing a big athletic guy like Lance Ware can catch lobs, can give you a shot blocker off the bench to spell Eric Dixon for a little bit. I think it's a really good fit here and somebody who I think they're going to have to put the press on and, and really get to commit here because they need somebody. Unless they have a recruit coming in, they're, they're really going to need Lance Ware. But you give him a little bit more playing time, I think, and, and give Villanova a dimension that they don't have, I think this is a pretty damn good fit here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been talking about a lot of this episode and episodes before that they just need a backup guy, Eric Dixon. They need a body down there. And, you know, he might not get all the playing time in the world that he wants, but he'll definitely be able to contribute to a team that should be pretty good next year. They should be returning back to more what we've seen in the past than what they we saw last year. So um, we will keep you updated on that, as always, of course. But uh, definitely something intriguing for the Wildcats, for sure. Um, all right, one more little transfer news before we get into uh, scheduling. Uh, Rhode Island's Jalen Carey visiting Temple, according to Um, Interesting prospect here. Uh, he played... Two years at Syracuse and redshirted his second season to do a thumb injury. Transferred to Rhode Island, played three years there. Averaged around 10 points a game, around five rebounds a game. Um, he was ranked 38th in the top 100 in 2018, so he's he's a little bit older. Um, here's what I don't like, and you know you can say if you agree or disagree with this, especially with the Adam Fisher system, of course, that we've talked about, but shot 19% from three last season, two attempts a game, so it's not like a ton of volume. Um Still 90% for threes. It's not good. It's not good. Um, also, negative assist to turnover ratio is something that really, really concerns me, especially not that you don't ever want to not take care of the ball, but I feel like in this system especially, you know, they're going to be trying to find open shooters. They're going to be trying to get up and down the floor, and if you can't take care of the basketball, that's going to be an issue. Um, but I've also talked about, and I don't want to be hypocritical, that they need talented guys in here. Um, and this is obviously someone who in the past has had that talent. Maybe it's dwindled a little bit now that he's, you know, was injured at Syracuse, went to Rhode Island, played okay, but not, you know, great, at least to what people thought he was going to be when he was 38th in the top 100 in 2018. So what can you tell me about Jalen Carey? And do you think this is going to be a good fit uh, for Temple if he does happen to choose the Owls? Got to be honest here, Kyle. I don't, I don't think I love this fit. I really don't. Because we, we talked about Rhode Island last year, playing against St. Joe's, playing against LaSalle. And if you want to be an Adam Fisher system where he wants to get up and down the floor and he wants to shoot a ton of threes, well, he's coming from a Rhode Island team that was one of the worst in America in shooting threes last year. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't shoot a ton. They were all guys that wanted to get to the free throw line and get into the teeth of the defense, get to the basket, get downhill. And that's what Jalen Carey is. He wants to catch the ball off a of pick and roll. Not going to shoot a ton of threes. He wants to get to the basket. He wants to use his athleticism and his speed to get to the basket. So in in this system, I don't love the fit because he can handle the ball a little bit and be a guy that that can run a pick and roll. But 
he had that negative turnover ratio, and he can throw some bad passes. His shot selection is questionable at times, and it's going to take tough coups, which doesn't it just doesn't seem like it's it's a fit here for Adam Fisher's system. But if you need to fill scholarships that you don't think you're able to do through recruiting, and you know the, the portal starting to dwindle a little bit in terms of the top talent now going other places, I don't. I, I guess if you need a guy. The talent's certainly there if he was a, a top 100 guy, and if it's just a, he's only going to be there for a year, he's going to be in his, he's going into his sixth year in college with that red shirt in the COVID year. If, if that's what you need, and you just need to fill a spot, sure, and give you a buffer for next year. But in terms of his style of play, I don't, I don't think I love the fit here. Now he's a pretty good athlete, so if you want to run up and down and you want a good athlete in transition, then I, I guess there's, there, there's a fair point there, but. Questionable shot selection, tough coups, and not a guy that that's shown the ability really at, at any point in his career to be able to knock down threes at a consistent level and take a bunch. I I don't I don't love this fit here to be honest with you. This kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't even see that there was a list for him anywhere. I just kind of saw, you know, on on Twitter from Al Scoop that that he was going to be on campus. They're going to bring him in for a visit. But in terms of the style of play, I. I don't know if I love this fit and I want to see Jalen Carey jacking up a bunch of threes. Cause like I said, that Rhode Island team was abysmal at shooting threes last year. They wanted to get to the free throw line and just put their head down and drive every time. Cause that just wasn't a strength of theirs. So I, I, I don't love this. I really liked Steve Settle when that, when I saw his list come out and he was like, Hey, he's down to Temple and GW. I love that. This I'm, I'm definitely not on the same level as. Yeah, I, I also don't share the same excitement level as that. I mean, like, for the him getting downhill and getting to the basket and all that, that would be great if he was a really good, you know, kick-out player. If he just got downhill and he looked for guys to kick it out to in the corner, um, you know, on the wing, whatever it was. But it doesn't seem like that is, considering the fact that he has a negative assist turnover ratio. Um, like I said, like, need someone to take care of the basketball um, and it doesn't seem like that. And plus, you know, like you mentioned, like, I don't think I want him if I was Temple to be chucking up shots that he's not going to make. Um, it's just not the way that they've done things in Rhode Island. And like you mentioned, they were one of the worst teams three point shooting wise in, in America last year. And to come here, it's just, it's just not a good fit. It's not a good fit. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I don't want to rule out anything i mean maybe adam fisher and company think that they can think they can think they um it's possible you've seen it happen in the past with other players but as it stands right now on the surface i don't love it i don't love it at all um all right we're gonna move on to some scheduling notes here to wrap up this silly little episode uh lasalle will be playing miami next season um they last met thanksgiving 2018 during feast week tournament in fullerton california and it did not go well for the Explorers. It was an 85-49 loss to a team that only finished 14-18 and 18 that year in Miami. Um, so not great. It was Ashley Howard's first season. So give that a little bit of slack. Do with that information what you will. But it's at least fun to see the Explorers playing a high major team, a team that made the Final Four last year. I mean, they've, they've had an incredible track record the last few years. Um, what, do you, what do you make of this? They're, good. They're probably getting paid a lot of money to go down there. Well, that's that's, that's probably number one. Yeah, that I remember that game on Thanksgiving Day. I was actually a freshman at LaSalle at the time. It was on Thanksgiving break. and was home watching it in my living room. And, yeah, it just it wasn't good. That that team got off to a rough start with Ashley Howard. They started out 0-10. And it's it's kind of funny, I guess. You ever see those, like, uh, 
imperialism maps where it's like they take the you know what I mean? You have a map of the United States by county, and it's like all of them are colored in by like the teams that are still undefeated. Oh, yeah. You yeah. ever seen one of them? So LaSalle was actually a part of one that hadn't won a game yet, and it was between them and Alabama A&M. And then I think they went down to Florida. They played – might have been. I think it was the, the third game of this tournament, maybe, but regardless, they they played Alabama A&M, and they were the only other under, like team that hadn't won a game yet. So the map was just LaSalle and Alabama A&M. And LaSalle ended up getting their first win against them. They started out 0 and 10 and they ended up getting their getting their win against them. But yeah, that was that was a rough game. It wasn't a good Miami team either. Chris Likes was was uh the point guard on that team. They they had dealt with some injuries a couple of years under Larry Nagan. and just wasn't that, that definitely wasn't his, his his best team. So hopefully we have a better result, a closer result. But it's still a damn good team that you're gonna go play against. They just got Matthew Cleveland in from Florida State. They're still gonna have Wuga Poplar. Norchad O'Meara was at G League Elite Camp, and I don't believe that he got – yeah, he did not get invited to go to the NBA Draft Combine. I would think he would just come back anyway because he's got a couple years left. So to have to go against a dominant – and look, LaSalle needs some bigs. I mean, tough to ask for Rokas, even though he's got size on Norchad O'Meara. I mean, you're going up against like an Oscar Chiway level rebounder, a guy who's in that stratosphere as far as rebounds go, go down there and play. And they – they're still a good team. They don't have Isaiah Wong anymore, unfortunately. Jordan Miller left, but Nigel Pack's still there. Google Pop is still there. They just brought in a really big, versatile forward and Matthew Cleveland who can step out and hit a three and, and defend different positions. So it's it's a very good team that they're going up that they're gonna go up against. I think it'll be closer than eighty five to forty nine, but I hope so. Miami will probably put a hurting on them because even though they lost what they did, they are still going to be very good under Jim Laranagan. Yeah, listen. If they if they go into that matchup winless again, I'm I'm going to be a lot more concerned about the matchup than that than the matchup itself. I I don't foresee that happening. I think Lasalle will be a decent team this year. Um, yeah, can't can't have that. Can't have that again. Don't ever want that. Um, on the flip side of that though, uh, Villanova announces their season opener will be against American University down in D.C. Um, and Lavar Ball. What is Villanova, or I'm going to say that again, LeVar Ball, what has Villanova's results been against America? Never lost. That's right. Never lost. Never lost. 11 or no. Um, that does include the NCAA tournament in 2009, which was at the Wachovia Center, the then Wachovia Center. Um, and yeah, I mean, listen, this is obviously a buy game. This is, we're not going to sugarcoat it. Um, no offense to American. Great university for academics, not so much for basketball. Um, if Villanova loses this game, it will be a John Rothstein tweet. Um, so I, I don't really have a ton on this. I think this is, I mean, it's neat to know where they're opening their season, um, who their opponent will be rather. But uh, what do you what do you think of this? Yeah, to me, it's a buy game. You're absolutely right. Team hasn't been good. They haven't made the tournament in a while. Uh, Nova's never lost to them. Let's hope that they keep that going and they don't shoot themselves in the foot resume wise on the first game of, of the year certainly does not bring the excitement of the further, their opening game this year at home when they played LaSalle and you had Neptune and you had Dunphy on the sidelines and you had the two fired coaches or not really you had the two co- former coaches and Ashley Howard and Jay Wright that were both sitting courtside. Probably. I think Jensen tweeted that out. I was like, that's really interesting. I don't think that's ever happened at, at any sport ever where you had the two former coaches show up to the season opener in the building. 
So it certainly does not bring the excitement that that brings. Never lost to them. Let's hope it doesn't happen again. I want to ask you, Kyle. In 2009, do you know what happened that year for Villanova? They made the Final Four that year. They did make the Final Four that year. They they beat Pittsburgh, Jamie Dixon. Yep. I believe that was at LeVance Fields. Uh, yep. Maybe the Juan Blair team, but regardless, one of my all-time favorite fandom moments, I'm jumping up and down in my living room. I was eight years old at the time. Scott. Scotty Reynolds, four seconds left, post the coats, sends Jay Wright to his first Final Four. They went to play Ford Field. Unfortunately, lost to North Carolina, but it's okay because Villanova has the last laugh against North Carolina in the tournament. But what a run that was. And, yeah, pretty cool that they were able to play at the Wachovia Center at the time. I was hoping that two years ago Nova would be able to play at the Wells Fargo Center. They always stagger it where they play three games there a year because that's the cutoff where the NCAA is like, if you play any more than three games, that's considered a home court for you. Then you can't play there in the tournament. So pretty cool they were able to do that. I wish they would have been there because then they, you know, imagine, imagine Nova. Uh, they probably would have had to play if you put them in North Carolina's position and say they were playing St. Peter's at home. It sucks that it's the Cinderella story versus like you know, the the blue blood that's at home. But no, seeing Nova go to the Final Four at the Wells Fargo Center would have been would have been pretty damn cool. But what? yeah, that was a, a great run for them. Jay Wright's first Final Four, and yeah, I remember jumping up and down in my living room. Scotty Reynolds, man, going coast to coast. He's one of he's for me. It's he's top three or top five all time Nova players for me. Just just because of that moment, that was like what really kickstarted like my college basketball, um, and and like Nova fandom was yeah, oh, pretty well, what's cool. Your top five, then? I want to hear this real quick. My top five all time. There's a bias with the old with like the newer guys because they you know they they just had like a golden era run. Uh, but Scotty Reynolds is up there. You know how much I love Mikhail Bridges. He's one. Of, he's one of my favorite players. You know, in the NBA right now, was my favorite in college. Can't believe the Sixers got. I mean, you know how happy I was when the Sixers drafted him. I was on cloud nine for like ten minutes. It was great. Uh, I, like you can't you can't not put Brunson in there. Yeah, yeah. And he needs to be talked about more as like one of the greatest college players of all time with his resume. Like he started at Nova, which doesn't usually start freshmen. Is a starting point guard on a championship team. Started three years there, and then all he did in 2018 before he left for the draft won the Naismith Player of the Year and was on one of the greatest teams of all time that dominated the point. So Brunson's on there too. So Brunson Bridges. Scotty Reynolds is on there. I got to put Arch on there too. I mean, he was he he was awesome. Like his his last year, seeing him able to win that that championship was was pretty cool. And then I'd say another guy uh, that might be a little not really expected, but another guy who I really like. He's been a good NBA player, and that I wanted the Sixers to take. He got taken one pick before they picked Tyrese Maxey, so I'm not mad about it, but. I was a big Sadiq Bay fan. I thought Sadiq Bay was awesome. So those those newer guys I have an affinity for just because they were they were so successful and they've had a lot of guys drafted and won championships. But that's that's probably my my top five. I'm not going to rank them, but for me, okay. Scotty Reynolds, Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Ryan Archdiakono, and then probably a shocker there, but Sadiq Bay was a damn good player. Guy just worked his freaking tail off, and he's been really good in the league. And it was awesome to see him drop fifty-one. Uh, not this past season, but the season before. Yeah, I mean, I would also probably argue maybe Colin Gillespie. Um, 
you know, he was a catalyst in 2018 and made the final four run in 21, not a catalyst, but he was behind Brunson. I mean, he played, um, and then 21, obviously, you know, he was the catalyst of that team. Um, he's, he's, he's close. It's close. He's close. Cause that his, his like whole career was, was just, it, it was just insane. From like day right being like, Hey, well, you know, maybe by the time you're a junior or a senior, you could play. And then to have him dominating and be one of the best players in the sport and now play in the NBA, like that's, that's wild. It's, yeah. it's wild. I mean, I will always have great respect for him because holy smokes, like he was dominating game. That game that they went up to the dunk, when it was still called that, and it should still be called that, but it's not anymore. And it was like number nine versus number 10 or number eight versus number 11, something like that. You had two teams ranked in the top 15. That was Providence's best year that they had. Yeah. And I think he had 33 or 35, played just about every minute. And that's after coming the year before he came off the torn, the torn knee ligament. Like it's, it's, that was one of the craziest careers I saw because that dude just, you had it going every game, man. Every single game was, was dominating in there for Villanova for a guy who like was one of the last scholarships that they gave out. And Ash Howard's recruiting him and telling Jay Ray, like, hey, like this guy, like we need this guy. He's really good. What a, what a what a career he had, and me hey maybe maybe he gets a ring this year with the Nuggets maybe 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 you never know yeah. I mean listen it I guess it helps when you when you sit behind Jalen Brunson and you can be his backup point guard and he has one of the greatest college careers of all time like and you compete that. against all those guys every day yeah yeah no yeah. doubt no doubt um all right well that's uh actually there's one more thing we'll go to final thoughts now of this episode I'm gonna go first this time though. Um, it's a rarity, I know, but we talked about Caleb Love a few episodes ago. Um, he is transferring. He's transferring out of Michigan. I listen. He said he wasn't going to. I was skeptical because you know Hunter Dickinson obviously leaving, but he's he's going. He's leaving. He's back in the portal. Um, yeah. I believe he named Indiana, Texas. There's two more. Help me out. More. Help me out. More. I know Missouri was after him. Yeah. I don't like I. Thoughts are being filled now. Like Tyrese Hunter just announced he was coming back for Texas. So like I look at that and I'm like, well, they already have Ace in this. They're bringing back Tyrese Hunter. Like you know what I mean? Spots are starting to fill up now. It's pretty yeah. late in the process to be doing this. So I don't know if like previous, excuse, if previous schools he was after, and now you have Indiana who announces Xavier Johnson is going to come back for another year. Like you might have some schools that were after him before that maybe just don't have the room or, or can promise him anything that they might have promised before because they've been starting to fill spots up. So I I know Missouri and Indiana were were after him. I don't know I don't know if that's if that's the case anymore. There might you might have totally like new suitors that are out there looking for a guy. Yeah, I don't know. I it's it's gonna be really I mean I think we mentioned Indiana being probably the most likely you know destination, but I don't know now. And also it is worth noting too, that it wasn't just that he didn't decide to go to, to Michigan. He didn't get in academically. Um, admissions kind of said, you don't have the credits for this. Um, so that was obviously a huge part of it too. Um, yeah. I don't know. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, good thing good here, especially just having that talented of a player be in the portal this late. I mean, we're it's, it's late May now, almost pretty much. Um, we'll see. 
Yeah. I I give you credit for that because I I sent you the screenshot yesterday on May 4th, uh, just before 930. He tweeted out. So uh, somebody at Trilly Donovan, who's been awesome at dropping scoops and everything of transfers and, and news. Will Caleb Love play for Michigan at all next year? Stay tuned. He reads, he quotes, tweets it with, yes, I will play for Michigan next year. Stay tuned. Go blue. So I yes. think you, you mentioned that I shot it down. I think because I saw that, but Hey, it's still, no, it's fair. That's fair. You shot it down because, yeah. because if he's saying it, like it's a viable source, Yeah, but listen, it's not something went wrong. Something went wrong there. So yeah. I don't know. Um, all right. Well, do you have any final thoughts, sir? No. I'm glad you brought that up though, because that I I saw that. It was like I was thinking of you immediately. So no, no final thoughts for me. Uh actually one maybe. Uh process is over. It's done. Yeah. It's done. I was I was not a fan of it to begin with, just blowing up and being intentionally bad and having guys play on your team that wouldn't play on any other teams and being as bad as they were. And they they got what the show for. Them. Ultimately, I know the process has been over because it was like, okay, the process, get the picks, get the players, and then we'll load up, and then we can attract free agents, and we'll be, we'll be a solid team. But they never got out of the second round. They never did. Our, like, loss after loss, the, the Hawks, the Raptors, at whatever you want to call what happened on Sunday, which is pathetic in the second half, like, it's, it's bad. Don't sign James Harden. Let him walk. After hearing Maury's press conference, I don't know how much longer you can even keep him. I think they're locked in to keeping him now. I don't know who they are going to bring in Nick Nurse for a visit uh, to speak sometime soon. But, yeah, the process of disaster uh, failed. Their bench was never – they just weren't ever good enough. They never were. They make all these trades at the trade deadline for guys that aren't actually good enough to play in the playoffs. McDaniels was pretty useless in the Celtics series. Like thigh, you know what I mean? They, yeah, they're they're a mess. I hated. I wasn't a fan of the process, and and they look what they got to show for it. Absolutely nothing. Getting absolutely slit. And that game on Sunday was okay. If they get over the hump, maybe the MVP this year might be different. And if they lost, like it was, that was a make or break game for the process. It's over. It's done. Yeah, it's it done. is. What a failure that was. Hopefully they can just rid themselves, which they might end. It might mean. Trading Embiid, which I don't think will happen. I think the more likely thing is they let Harden walk. And again, Daryl Morey's there, and he loves him, and he might give him a four-year deal with a lot of money, and they won't win anything there either. Process is over. It's done. And it has yeah. been. It's over. It's yeah. over. What a this What an absolute catastrophic. And it, there's a lot of bumps along the road, like the Cole Colangelo thing, the Markel Fultz thing is like infuriating because you can't blame him. He just had like the weirdest thing ever happen to him. Nobody knew what was wrong with him. He just he was a dynamite scorer in college. Could score from all okay. three levels. Was terrific. But then he had like thoracic outlet syndrome or something like that. I think Landry Fields said he had the same thing where it's like you shoot and you're like you you just you just react and you pull the ball back and there's like a hitch in your shot. Like somewhat and then they traded him for like Jonathan Simmons. <laughs> it was a disaster, man. What a disaster the process was. And of course, Jimmy Butler. Is is playing awesome right now and is carrying a, a, a hurt Heat team that doesn't have Old Depot or Tyler Hero, and they're three games away from playing in the finals again. Again, they almost made it last year. Like you're talking about three, three of four years since he left. Like if if they win, if the Heat win Game Seven last year, and they make the finals this year, you could be talking about three of four years since Jimmy Butler left that he's made the finals. 
infuriating, man. Infuriating. But no, I, I hold nothing against Jimmy Butler. I hope he wins and the Sixers look awful for it because oh, yeah. honestly, they deserve it at this point. Listen, I'm, you know, with the Heat, obviously they had to go through my next to get there. And at least I can hang my head high because they didn't go outside like the Sixers. Um, they fought Jalen Brunson is him. That's him. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. That is a franchise cornerstone. Yep. And, you know, Julius Randle is just the most frustrating player because he has all the talent in the world, but he just isn't always here. And the effort's brutal. So I don't want to get too much too, too much in the Knicks because, yes, I'm a little hurt, but it's not like I've had the, you know, five or so years of playoffs like you guys have. Like, this is two out of three for us. It's the first with Brunson. Um, RJ Barrett played really, really well in these playoffs besides, uh, besides game six of the Heat series. And the first two games of the Cavs series, too, weren't good. But the other what was it like eight or nine games he, he played really really well um definitely think he can be a great third option on our championship team which i think could happen um if we get the right star but i'll say this about the sixers before we depart from an outsider's perspective the process as a whole and i know it's a debate that our friends and i have a lot if the process worked or not i think if you want to break it down by the fact that they tore it down they were bad and then they became a contender, it worked. But the things along the way that happened were their own doing, and that made it not work, such as giving Tobias Harris the max contract and Al Horford the max contract and letting Jimmy walk. Now, also, I don't know 100% if Jimmy wanted to be there. That's a different thing. But if they threw a boatload of money at him, made him play with 25-year-old Joel Embiid, different story. You know what I mean? Um, The fact that they had the issues with Ben Simmons and, you know, whatever happened with him. Um, Cause he was a two or three time all-star and then just kind of turned into a speck of dust offensively. Um, whatever happened with Markel's Markel Fultz's injury and, you know, mental challenges and whatnot. Um, there's just, and Colangelo too, you mentioned, I completely forgot about that for the longest time, but that was a whole disaster too. Um the Harden trade is probably overall maybe a success because, you know, in terms of things they gave up, but also, you know, they gave up the best backup center they probably ever had in Drummond. They gave up a shooting piece in, in Seth Curry. Um, you do that trade every time, but, you know, it was sometimes the consequences because uh, it was a pretty deep, deeper team than they have now. But it's just, I'm sure, extremely, extremely frustrating because they they tore it down this was the big thing in the nba this is the thing that was promised for sixers fans that was going to happen and they never got into the second round at least right now um i'm also declaring the process dead you never know what happened with Embiid's, um you know being on the roster or not i don't know if he'll request the trade i don't know if he will get traded i don't know if they'll try to resign harden or get someone else around him but they don't have the assets to do that um it's the process itself of getting into the competitive competition, like the competitive state to be able to compete for championships, championships, champion was a success. But the tactical, tactical, after into it after they became good were a failure. And I think that's the big difference. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm not extremely, extremely sorry because your team's a rival of mine, but I am sorry as your friend that, that was probably the most frustrating thing that people have had to go through in the last decade or so in the NBA. So that is that. 
And with that being said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, uh, we appreciate your support. Um, seriously, I mean, you guys have actually been helping us grow. And and uh, we see you guys. We hear you guys. We love you guys. So keep supporting us. And we'll keep putting out great stuff for you. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe on our YouTube channel. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Big5Pod. And make sure you listen to our audio-only versions on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The dog days are here, but we still got content. So please stay tuned. And we'll see you next week.